0: Welcome to Quantum Magazine's podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. When we design a skyscraper, we expect it will perform to specification. The tower should support so much weight. It should be able to withstand an earthquake of a certain strength. It may slightly sway in strong winds, but it will remain standing. But with one of the most important technologies of the modern world, we're effectively building blind. We play with different designs and tinker with different setups, but until we take it out for a test run, we don't really know what it can do or where it will fail. What technology is that? The neural network, which underpins today's most advanced artificial intelligence systems. Increasingly, neural networks are moving into the core areas of society. They determine what we learn of the world through our social media feeds. They help doctors diagnose illnesses. They even influence whether you'll spend time in jail if you're convicted of a crime. Boris Hannon is a mathematician at Texas A&M University and a visiting scientist at Facebook AI Research. He says in the past year or so, we've just started to get the language that will help explain some of the success of deep learning. Hannon compares the situation with neural networks to the development of the steam engine. The
1: first steam engines were incredibly inefficient. All they could do was pump water. They just were not engineered very well because the idea was so raw. But then 50 years later, there were already railroads all across England. and The steam engine was good enough to power a locomotive. That's sort of an amazing try, I think, of mainly engineering, but then also material science and slightly more basic sciences. You know, going back to doing research and testing materials and seeing what works.
0: That's maybe where neural networks are now. Hannon says the steam engine technology kept moving forward.
1: Later on in the 19th century, people developed thermodynamics, like the Carnot engine and then Boltzmann and Planck had their statistical theory of thermodynamics, which gave a theory for how to think about the internal combustion engine eventually, which is sort of what the steam engine turned into at that
0: point. That let us understand exactly what was going on inside engines of any kind. Eventually that knowledge took us to the moon.
1: First you had this really great engineering and the great engineering continued and kind of plugged into other related disciplines. And you got to these really great trains. And then you needed some theoretical understanding to go from there to rocket ships. You cannot go to the moon without a theory. So from my point of view, all these great practical advances in neural networks, really starting from the 80s, I would say, brought us to the point of we have these great steam engines.
0: But Hannon says we're not ready to go to the moon yet. Within the sprawling community of neural network development, a small group of mathematically minded researchers is trying to build a better theory of neural networks, It would explain how they work and guarantee that if you construct a neural network in a prescribed manner, it will be able to perform certain tasks. Hannon says we need a real theory for understanding what the neural networks are currently doing.
1: Theory is never going to take into account every practical detail. But the hope, the dream, which I think we're only beginning to explore, is to say, here's a language in which to describe neural networks. You have to kind of introduce new concepts. And, you know, rethink the way you think about relationships and data. And all of this has to be put into some new mathematical way.
0: The work is still in its very early stages. But in the last year or so, researchers have produced several papers exploring the relationship between form and function in neural networks. The work strips neural networks all the way down to their foundations. It shows that long before you can certify that neural networks can drive cars you need to prove that they can multiply. Neural networks aim to mimic the human brain. One way to think about the brain is that it works by gradually accumulating smaller abstractions into larger ones. If you look at it this way, complexity of thought is measured by the range of smaller abstractions you can draw on and the number of times you can combine lower level abstractions into higher level abstractions. This is like the way we learn to distinguish dogs from birds, We learn to recognize four fluffy legs. Then we know it's a dog, not a bird. Neural networks are similar. Abstraction comes naturally to the human brain, but neural networks have to work for it. As with the brain, neural networks are made of building blocks called neurons that are connected in various ways. The neurons in a neural network are inspired by neurons in the brain, but don't imitate them directly. Each neuron might represent an attribute or a combination of attributes that the network considers at each level of abstraction. When joining these neurons together, engineers have loads of choices to make. They have to decide how many layers of neurons the network should have or how deep it should be. Consider a neural network with the task of recognizing objects and images. The image enters the system at the first layer. At the next layer, the network might have neurons that simply detect edges in the image. The next layer combines lines to identify curves in the image. Then the next layer combines curves into shapes and textures. The final layer processes shapes and textures to reach a conclusion about what it's looking at. Here's David Rolnick, a mathematician at the University of Pennsylvania, talking about those layers.
2: The idea is that each one combines several aspects of the previous one. So a circle is curves in many different places. A curve is lines in many different places. They can become more specific.
0: Engineers also have to decide the width of each layer. That corresponds to the number of different features the network is considering at each level of abstraction. In the case of image recognition, the width of the layers would be the number of types of lines, curves, or shapes it considers at each level. Rolnick compares it to putting together a shirt.
2: For The first layer of the network you have, what thread do you pick? And the width of the first layer is, how many kinds of thread are there? And then the next layer you have, is it a plaid shirt? Is it not a plaid shirt? How many different kinds of plaid do you have?
0: Beyond the depth and width of a network, there are also choices about how to connect neurons within layers and between layers, and how much weight to give each connection. So if you have a specific task in mind, how do you know which neural network architecture will accomplish it best? There are some broad rules of thumb. For image-related tasks, engineers typically use convolutional neural networks, which feature the same pattern of connections between layers repeated over and over. For natural language processing, like speech recognition or language generation, engineers have found that recurrent neural networks seem to work best. In these, neurons can be connected to non-adjacent layers, but beyond those general guidelines, engineers largely have to rely on experimental evidence. They run 1,000 different neural networks and simply observe which one gets the job done. Mathematician Boris Hannon says there are many choices to be made within neural networks.
1: And then these are often set by trial and error in practice. So that's sort of a tough thing because there are infinitely many choices and one really doesn't know what the best is.
0: A better approach would involve a little less trial and error and a little more upfront understanding of what a given neural network architecture gets you. A few papers published recently have moved the field in that direction. Mathematician David Rolnick says it moves away from simply what everyone else is doing.
2: What this kind of work does is try to replace the I heard that you should use this network with. And this is why this network works and this network doesn't work, to develop, as it were, a cookbook for cooking the right neural network, for designing the right neural network. If you know what it is that you want to achieve out of the network, then here is the recipe for that network.
0: One of the earliest important theoretical guarantees about neural network architecture came three decades ago. In 1989, computer scientists proved that if a neural network has only a single computational layer, but you allow that one layer to have an unlimited number of neurons with unlimited connections between them, the network will be capable of performing any task you might ask of it. It was a sweeping statement that turned out to be fairly intuitive, but not so useful. It's like saying that if you can identify an unlimited number of lines in an image, you can distinguish between all objects using just one layer. That might be true in principle, but good luck implementing it in practice. Researchers today describe such wide, flat networks as expressive— That means they're capable in theory of capturing a richer set of connections between possible inputs and outputs. Or in terms of recognizing images, they're theoretically capable of capturing a richer set of connections between possible images and descriptions of images. But these networks are extremely difficult to train. It's almost impossible to teach them how to actually produce those outputs. They are also more computationally intensive than any computer can handle. More recently, researchers have been trying to understand how far they can push neural networks in the other direction by making them narrower and deeper, or with fewer neurons per layer, but more layers overall. So maybe you only need to pick out 100 different lines, but with connections for turning those 100 lines into 50 curves, which you can combine into 10 different shapes, which give you all the building blocks you need to recognize most objects. In a 2018 paper, Rolnick and Max Tegmark of MIT proved that by increasing depth and decreasing width, you can perform the same functions with exponentially fewer neurons. They showed that if the situation you're modeling has 100 input variables, you can get the same reliability using either 1,000, billion, billion, billion neurons in one layer or just 1,000 neurons spread over two layers. They found that there's power in taking small pieces and combining them at greater levels of abstraction instead of trying to capture all levels of abstraction at once. Here's David Rolnick again.
2: The notion of depth in neural networks, is linked to the idea that you can express something complicated by doing many simple things in sequence. Each layer of a neural network is a simple transformation of data. It's like an assembly line.
0: Rolnick and Tegmark proved the utility of depth by asking neural networks to perform a simple task, multiplying polynomials. You might remember those from high school algebra. For example, y equals x squared plus 1. Rolnick says they chose to look at polynomials instead of something complex like self-driving cars because polynomials are simpler.
2: The reason we did polynomials is because we can't prove things about self-driving cars. And also because when something's true for something as simple as a polynomial, then we expect it to be true for many things.
0: Rolnick and Tegmark trained the networks by showing them examples of polynomials and their products. They then asked the network to compute the products of polynomials they hadn't seen before. Deeper neural networks learned the task with far fewer neurons than shallower ones. Sure, multiplication isn't a task that's going to set the world on fire, but Rolnick says the paper made an important point.
2: Multiplication is a problem which deeper networks are exponentially better at solving. You give it some stuff and you ask it to multiply. It's a terrible job for a neural network. It's too simple for a neural network. But if a shallow network can't even do that, then we shouldn't trust anything else. The point is that it's so simple. You give it some examples of multiplication and you ask it to do a new example. Or of course, you would never use a neural network for multiplication, but if you give it a complicated task, or you don't know how to solve it, then you don't know how to prove anything about it either.
0: Other researchers have been probing the minimum amount of width needed. In fall of last year, former Oklahoma State University mathematician Jesse Johnson proved that at a certain point, no amount of depth can compensate for a lack of width. (laughs) To get a sense of his result, imagine sheep in a field, except these are punk rock sheep. Their wool has been dyed one of several colors. The task for your neural network is to draw a border around all sheep of the same color. In spirit, this task is similar to image classification. The network has a collection of images, and it needs to group together similar ones. Johnson, who is now a researcher at the pharmaceutical company Sanofi, proved that a neural network will fail at this task when the width of the layers is less than or equal to the number of inputs. So, for our sheep, each can be described with two inputs an X and a Y coordinate to specify its position in the field. The neural network then labels each sheep with a color and draws a border around sheep of the same color. In this case, you'll need three or more neurons per layer to solve the problem. More specifically, Johnson showed that if the width to variable ratio is off, the neural network won't be able to draw closed loops. Those are the kind of loops the network would need to draw if, let's say, all of the red sheep were clustered together in the middle of the pasture. Johnson says if none of the layers are thicker than the number of input dimensions, there are certain shapes the function will never be able to create, no matter how many layers you add. Papers like Johnson's are beginning to build a theory of neural networks. At the moment, researchers can make only very basic claims about the relationship between architecture and function. And those claims are in small proportion to the number of tasks neural networks are taking on. So while the theory of neural networks isn't going to change the way systems are built anytime soon, blueprints are being drafted for a new theory of how computers learn. And it's one that's poised to take humanity on a ride with even greater repercussions than a trip to the moon. Michelle Yoon helped with this episode. I'm Susan Vallett. For more on this story, read Kevin Hartnett's full article, Foundations Built for a General Theory of Neural Networks, on our website, quantummagazine.org. The holidays are just around the corner. Need a gift for a science fan? Check out the Quanta book, Alice and Bob Meet the Wall of Fire, published by the MIT Press. Available now at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or your local bookstore.